Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Dancing in the Rain with Pookie. I'm Dr Pookie Knightsmith or at Pookie H on Twitter. I'm the director of the Children and Young People's Programme at the Charlie Waller Memorial Trust and I'm the vice chair of the Children and Young People's Mental Health Coalition here in the UK. My podcast aims to be an informal yet informative look at mental health and I hope that you will find it maybe interesting, maybe inspiring and certainly thought provoking. This week I am talking about the ways in which we can discuss and explore healthy eating and exercise with younger children with a view to not inspiring later on um, uh, disordered eating and exercise behaviours. And I also share with you um, a talk entitled We Need to Talk About Suicide, which is the talk that I should have been given today on the TEDx stage at the uh, Norwich TEDx Education Meet, the only one in Europe this year for educators. Um, I couldn't give it due to ill health, so I made a YouTube video of it and I have shared the audio here in case you'd like to hear it. I hope that you've all had a good week and I hope that you enjoy the next half hour or so. I get asked quite regularly about how we should talk to younger children about healthy eating without putting them at risk of e uh, triggering sort of eating disorder behaviour. This particularly happens when children start getting sent home um, with kind of messages often that they pick up for school, um, sadly, particularly as a result of the um, Change for Life campaign, which is a government driven campaign. Um, but whilst it looks to kind of address obesity, it does send very black and white messages home with kids so um, it gives them very clear ideas around uh, food and exercise and good and fad good and bad foods and things like that um, and for a minority of children it can be um, quite triggering so I spoke with a colleague recently who I hope to interview for the podcast uh, soon who talked about how they get younger cases of um, girls in particular struggling with anorexia and when they talk to them about well you know when did these ideas um, if a child's struggling with kind of diet and exercise when did the, these ideas first come into your head then um, when they talk with older kids then they'll often be told you know from magazines or TV or everyone was dieting um, and, and it might be you know a little bit triggered by wanting to look good or body image uh, and things like that but with the younger children it can be a case of following a very strict regime which is based on messages that they've heard at school so a child who has been given a message that x foods are good and x foods are bad feeling that they can only eat the good foods or who've been told that you know the recommended amount of exercise is an hour a day so they'll go and obsessively jump on their trampoline for an hour a day and the difficulty with these kinds of children is if they stick very rigidly to those messages then they can quite rapidly lose weight even if they didn't need to um, and as our brain begins to um, become somewhat starved then the brain chemistry can change um, and one of the interesting things um, and distressing things that we find with with anorexia and starvation is that a lot of the traits that we think are um, related with with anorexia and that they're a mental health issue lots of those are mimicked um, purely by, sti by starvation so we have to be essentially I'm not, yeah I'm not trying to freak you all out but we do need to be really really careful with the messages that we send to young people um, around eating and around food um, and so people wanting to make sense choices whether they're 
teachers or parents or whoever do often come to me. Um, and I have to be honest, I'm telling you now from um, my kind of more personal point of view, what I found has worked relatively well with my own children um, and the things that, that kind of um, feel more appropriate than those black and white messages and lots of rules um, which which do come home from school sometimes. Um, so the things that I would say are firstly, and this is really important, is that we should discuss nutrition with our child. So often, particularly with younger children, we're guilty of really oversimplifying things for kids when actually we find that if we talk to them um, and we discuss these things in a bit more depth, they can understand pretty complex processes as long as we sort of couch them in terms that are a bit more appropriate for their age and stage. So instead of like say taking that real simple approach of saying that foods are good or bad, we can talk with our children about the different types of food that they need to be eating and what they're for. Um, so we can explain um, to them uh, you know the, the the different kinds what they do so we might for example talk about protein based foods and we might explain to our child that that means things like eggs and fish and meat um, and let them know that that helps them to grow um, we always talk about this in our family and we've been talking with our kids about this since they're like three or four um, about protein based foods being our lego block foods um, so if your kid is having a growth spurt we might talk about the need to eat loads of eggs or meat or fish um, and that that's okay because your body's doing lots of building. Um, we talk to our kids about dairy foods so anything that's got loads of calcium in it so that would include things like your milks and your yogurts um, and we uh, in our family talk about how we need these to build our strong bones and teeth so we know that our kind of milk based products and our yogurts and things um, they're the ones who are making our teeth nice and strong. Um, we talk about um, fruit and vegetables a lot as kind of being really good, healthy snacking food in our house. So um, in our home, and it might not work in everyone's home, but we have a kind of you can eat as much as you like of this policy. And we always have fruit and vegetables um, available to the kids. Um, we have a fridge which is just fruit and veg, which is a bit of a luxury, but um, that's kind of how we, we roll in our house. Um, and a fruit bowl that's always kind of at the right height and available and stuff. Um, and the kids know and understand that fruit and vegetables um, are kind of full of vitamins and minerals which are important to keep us healthy um, and also that fruit and vegetables make our digestion work a bit better um, so we can talk about poo <laughs> and anything where you get to talk about poo is, is a good thing um, and then we also talk about our fatty and sugary foods and we don't talk about um, any of these foods that would be maybe traditionally considered bad or unhealthy in those terms. So we're thinking here like cakes and sweets. And like all kids, my kids and I love these foods. Um, and they, we know that they're brilliant if we need a quick burst of energy, if we're about to go and do our um, trampoline or gymnastics lesson for the week or, or whatever. But that if we have um, too many of those kinds of foods, we talk about that that will make the dentist unhappy because these kind of sugary foods are bad for your teeth. Um, so we try, I guess, and just explain a bit more about the different foods and why it's important that we're getting a balance and that actually there are no bad foods because even our fatty and sugary foods, our cakes and biscuits and sweets, there are moments when they're really useful to us, um, but that it's about having a good balance of these things and that with some of them, it's okay to eat more than, than others. So again, you know, the fruit and the vegetables we have any time we want, um, but the um, cakes and the sweets and the biscuits 
widgets are something that we might have if we need a quick burst of energy. Um, another thing we don't do is talk about um, food in terms of treat or punishment. So again, we wouldn't talk about um, sweet foods being a treat. Um, and that's a bit of a movement away from what a lot of um, people do do um, and I understand that but one of the things that we need to think about is how this might be kind of reinterpreted later on so in the same way that when we're working with younger kids we need to think about the teenager they'll become so we want to encourage young kids to clear the table and take the plates to the um, kitchen and that hopefully means they're just that little bit less likely to be the teenager who keeps stacks and stacks of plates in their room one can dream right um, but in the same way if we are implanting this idea that sweets and crisps and biscuits are a reward then that's often something that they're much more likely to turn to in times when they need comfort um, and they are more likely to um, kind of actively reward themselves with those foods whereas actually a child can be equally um, rewarded by um, a favorite fruit or um, or anything really it just depends on what they they learn to, to love and enjoy um, but we don't want to set up a situation where they're more likely to kind of uh, really binge eat on on things like chocolate and biscuits later on I guess um, so we also um, try and be careful just generally about those kind of black and white categories for foods. Um, and this is tough because this goes directly against often what kids will be being taught at schools. Um, and I have to say, it does make me weep a little bit when my kids, amazing school, they're amazing in so many ways. But just every now and then I find my kids come home with a bit of work that they've been doing about healthy and unhealthy food or good and bad food. Um, and we try quite hard to see beyond those labels because um, one of, again, the other things that can happen later on um, with eating disorder behaviour is that we see the food world in terms of rules and we categorise very, very completely. Um, and this kind of early labelling and rulemaking um, can absolutely feed into that behaviour and can um, fuel it at a younger age than we might otherwise have seen it. Like thinking back to those earlier examples, the, the younger girls who are coming in with their anorexic symptoms, not just girls, actually boys too, in fact, um, coming in with their anorexic symptoms at kind of age 8, 9, 10 um, and actually that largely being a rule-based thing rather than necessarily an image-based or emotional-based thing in, in its origin. Um, another really important thing we need to teach our kids when we're talking about food is learning to understand when they feel full. This is something that lots of kids never learn to do. It's something that many adults are rubbish at. Um, and our generation and older generations can be guilty of um, ignoring this completely as an important signal of the body um, because we might have been brought up to finish what's on our plate. We might have learned that that is polite um, or just it was what you did to be good. Um, actually, when we override our body's signals about satiety and fullness and completeness of a meal um, and instead we just keep eating beyond that, then we set in place quite a bad precedent for our bodies. What we need to do with our kids is to encourage them to listen to what their body's telling them. Our bodies are pretty remarkable things if only we can learn to kind of read and understand them um, and to encourage them to eat until they're full um, but not to eat beyond when they're full so in my house I have um, 
children who struggle with each of these. So I have one child who um, just isn't really interested in food. She'd much rather be dancing and running and playing and singing or doing really anything other than sitting and eating food. Um, and she's not very good at eating until she's full. She's not very good at interpreting signs of hunger. And so we have to help her with that. And she knows that her tummy gets angry if it doesn't have enough going on. And she knows if she's going to be really busy. She's going to need to eat a bit more. Um, and she's getting better at that. But we're helping her to understand those different signals that her body sends her and to recognize the signs and symptoms of hunger. Um, the other one absolutely adores her food and would eat and eat and eat and eat and eat um, until, you know, she's encouraged to stop. And again, we help her to try and understand, well, actually, are you full? Um, we don't prevent her um, from having seconds, but we do always, you know, start with a maybe slightly smaller portion. And we ask the question, have you had enough to eat? You know, are you eating more because um, you're simply enjoying it? And sometimes that's OK, but not all the time. Um, or are you wanting to eat more um, because actually you haven't had enough yet? Um, and sometimes when we feel that we're going beyond what's you know reasonable portion then we might turn our minds to having a piece of fruit for example or some more vegetables um, in order to kind of fill that need so it's it it doesn't it, what we want is for our kids to get to a point where no matter how much is presented to them on a plate that they don't feel obliged that they have this pressure on them to finish what's on there um, that they can ask for, for for more if they're genuinely hungry um, but that they know when to stop um, and if we can teach our kids that then we've given them a really important gift for life because this is where lots of adults eating disordered or not do go wrong um, Another thing we should do is to let our kids try new things um, as often as we can give them the opportunity to. Um, and what we might find, particularly with younger kids, is that they will try really, really strange combinations. So you've got to go a little bit Heston Blumenthal with this a little bit um, and let them go for it. Just let them eat you know, as wide a range of foods as possible. And if they want to eat slightly strange things together, do you know what? Let them try. Let them experiment. Let food become a fun and interesting thing for them rather than a very rigid thing where they only want to eat, you know, two or three different foods. Um, the more that you let them experiment with food, the more that you let them grow their own food, the more that you let them be involved in recipe creating and following, then the more interested they will be in, in food more generally, the more likely they are to eat a, a kind of uh, wider and, and more, more balanced uh, diet. Um, another thing I'd suggest is trying to eat what your kid eats, so trying to eat with your child um, and maybe not eating the really bizarre concoctions that they might put together. Um, but if we can kind of lead by example um, and think of ourselves as a role model, so what some parents will do, um, and we've all been guilty of this, is trying to provide a really good and balanced diet for our children whilst eating a not particularly good and balanced diet ourselves and maybe always eating on the hop um, not you know eating a lot of kind of unhealthy or processed foods um, not allowing, allowing our children to have sweets crisps and biscuits and then eating them when they're not looking they're not stupid they know <laughs> um, so actually we should think about um, our role as a role model here we are always you know perpetual role models to our children whether we're their teacher whether we're their parent whether we're a significant other adult in their life um, and yeah so lead by example think what would I want my child to see me doing and do that kind of whether or not they're watching is, is the ultimate way um, but yeah let them see you eating a range of healthy foods and let them see you trying new things um, and let them see you trying something that you're not sure if you're going to like it or not and maybe not liking it and deciding yeah I'm not going to eat that but I tried it and I'm kind of pleased with myself for having tried it because that's often a really big barrier for kids we have um, a thing in our house that we say you know we we 
kind of put a bit of everything on everyone's plate and you only have to eat what you want to but you have to try everything once um, and that can lead to some pretty funny faces but occasionally we find that the kids discover a new favorite thing that they would never ever have tried before um, so you know we find that to be quite a good uh, it works well in our house it might not in yours um, and again, um, when it comes to exercise, then um, we'd look to lead by example here. So I wouldn't be um, talking about exercising as a means of weight loss, but rather as something that keeps, keeps us active and healthy, um, helps us to manage how our thoughts and feelings, and that it's something that gives us kind of enjoyment and keeps our body strong. Um, there are a few things that I wouldn't um, discuss with regards to food and exercise um, when working with a younger child or really kind of yeah preferably anyone in life ever um, and yeah you might have to tackle these if they kind of actively come up but with a younger child the things I would specifically avoid discussing and not bring up um, particularly are um, exercising for weight loss as I just said um, dieting for weight loss um, the idea of getting fat from eating too many sweet or fatty foods, so your kind of crisps and your biscuits and your chocolate and your cakes. Um, I wouldn't um, specifically talk about fussy eating or disordered eating, again, unless it, it does come up. And it is, um, in my house, I struggle with anorexia actively at the moment. And it is something that will sometimes come up a little bit in our house and we don't ignore it. We do acknowledge and explore it a little bit. Um, but we don't want to plant seeds um, in the children's minds about different ways of coping that might not be healthy for them. And we certainly wouldn't want them to um, aspire to <laughs> eat like mum. I try as far as possible to eat um, well in front of the children um, and encourage them to do so and to actively participate in their meals even if I'm not actually eating with them. Um, I wouldn't talk about kind of more generally sort of body image or weight concerns again unless they actually come up and then we'd be encouraging body confidence, um, health at every size and we'd be talking about um, you know the balance of, of foods that we might have and being active to keep healthy rather than as a means for weight loss. Um, I wouldn't talk about being too fat or too thin um, or weight and height as anything other than objective measure. So, you know, every now and then we'll measure our children, but we would never um, look to place judgment on that. Um, and again, this is something that can be tricky when the weights and measures stuff comes in at school. If your child gets measured, you might get a letter home that says that your child is the right weight or height or, the, or too heavy. Um, I personally withdrew my children. Sorry, government. I withdrew my children from the scheme. Um, simply because I knew what the results were going to come back as. I knew that my children would ask about it. And in, in one instance, I knew this was going to be an unhelpful starter for a conversation. Um, and that this is something that children can hugely internalise. And the message that you are overweight um, is something that a child can, if they are of a certain mindset, really take to heart and go to, go to straight great lengths to, to try and rectify in order to try and be good. So we need to be really careful about that. Um, and the other thing I wouldn't ever talk about with younger children is the idea of purging to remove calories. Um, so for example, that idea of, um, you know, use of laxatives or dieting or throwing up as a means to um, control our food intake. So a lot there, a lot of different kind of do's and don'ts. Um, and actually, you know, a key thing here is to have open and honest conversations with your child or with the child in your care and to explore these things with them, to make food a topic of interest and discussion, to consider what food is made up of, the building blocks and why we need it and why we need a variety, um, to eat together, to try to enjoy food um, and to never make food um, either a treat or a punishment where we can. Um, 
and yeah don't be scared and if you have questions you want to explore this a bit then you know leave a, a comment where you've heard this blog or tweet me at Pookie H. I wouldn't purport to be an expert in this particular topic um, it's something you know I have a huge interest in eating disorders I have a huge interest in health behavior and PSHE um, this isn't uh, the specific focus that I've taken though I've read and researched a lot into it but I always feel slightly unhealthy purporting myself to be an expert here because um, it well it feels a bit tricky at the moment what with me having my own eating disorder behaviors so I share a lot of opinions a lot of people find them very helpful um, but with this really it's about you finding what works for you and the children in your life but I hope there was some interesting bits of food for thought pun kind of intended I'm sorry um, interesting food, food for thought here um, that it gives you some starting point and that you feel a little bit more confident um, with some of the ideas that you might or might not choose to discuss with your child the other thing I wanted to share with you this week is a recording of the TEDx talk that I would have given had I not been struggling a lot with my depression and anorexia this week um, in the end it was kind of decided for me and with me that it wasn't safe for me to drive up to Norwich um, both because I'm struggling a lot with suicidal thoughts and feelings this week um, and also because my food intake has been um, well it's um, not enough to stop me potentially passing out while driving I guess is the fear of people around me um, and so I didn't make it up to TEDx which should have been today I'm absolutely gutted particularly because I was going to be talking to a big audience and then to the audience of YouTube um, about the need to talk about suicide um, for me it's a really important message it feels like a more important message than ever because this week I have been actively talked through um, some really really difficult suicidal crisis I was gonna say moments like hours this week um, and talking has been the thing on those occasions that has potentially saved my life so you know this for me is a really important message um, so I recorded my talk um, some of you might have seen it by YouTube so this is the last thing in the podcast today if you've already seen it you might not want to listen to it again um, I found it really hard to record because of um, the fact that I feel um, I'm not feeling great right now um, and I felt quite hypocritical recording this like trying to be inspiring encouraging other people to do a thing which I find very nearly impossible um, myself right now but I do genuinely think that talking about depression talking about suicide enabling people to reach out when they most need help um, and reaching out to other people when they might need your help um, are things that would save lives so well here it is I hope that um, you find it helpful to hear and I hope it encourages you to start some conversations that you might not otherwise have had we need to talk about suicide this talk it's dedicated to Charlie a both ordinary and extraordinary kind of guy it depends if you talk to the world at large or his mum and dad we parents we're kind of like that right so Charlie, Charlie didn't talk about suicide and now Charlie is dead and that feels all kind of wrong to me. Every death is sad. My grandfather died this year. He was old and wrinkled and he just kind of ran out of life. My very close friend died this year. His lungs were riddled with cancer. He kind of, his body ran out of fighting, I guess. And my gorgeous four-legged friend died this year. 
he, he ran out into the road without looking. But Charlie didn't run out of anything, except maybe the ability to manage when life just felt way too hard. And I get that. I, I do. I get that. I, I've been there. I've stood on that precipice and been kind of ushered down by the soothing voices of the Samaritans, who as an aside are all heroes. And they've ushered me down, but that didn't happen for Charlie. He didn't talk and, and no one talked to him. And there were so many people who cared. His friends, his family, his colleagues. I mean, the, the world, just random strangers in the world. You, if he'd have walked up to you on the street, you'd have, you'd have cared at least a little, at least enough, just to save his life in that moment. But he didn't talk. And no one talked to him. And now Charlie is dead. It was like... I don't know, like some kind of conspiracy of masks and hiding, of pretending, of guilt and shame. And that's not okay because that killed Charlie. I spoke with Charlie's father recently about Charlie. Charlie died 20 years ago and every day I work with a great team at the Charlie Waller Memorial Trust to make sure that that avoidable death was not in vain and that other deaths like it are avoided. We talk, we train, we teach, we share, we do all sorts of stuff and that's incredible but I felt that I knew very little about the man behind the charity. So I asked Charlie's dad, Mark, to tell me about him and he told me like it had happened yesterday, he told me with tears and a voice choked with emotion of this incredible young man who was, who is so, so loved. And I guess they say time's a healer, but maybe less so when you feel that this just should never have happened. And so we work tirelessly to try and change that. And do you know, there's something that we can all do to change this, to, to make suicide into a never event. And that is to talk about it, to just lose our fear of that and talk about it. Depression killed Charlie. Depression and silence and we need to help stop that from happening to other people. It should never happen. Every suicide, every suicide is preventable right up until the moment that a person is dead. Every suicide. It's never inevitable and sure, it's hard to, to stomach that truth if it's our friend, our lover, our colleague who's taken their life that's a really hard truth to bear but if instead of saying you know this was tragic and it couldn't you know it was inevitable and moving and walking away if instead we say what more could we have done what could we do differently next time then maybe we we save a life maybe i i talk about suicide a lot these days i didn't used to um, even after many years of, of working in mental health, I didn't used to, not up until a recent attempt. And I was, I was half dead with anorexia and I was drowning in depression. And I spent every waking moment just wishing it could be my last, but not having the motivation to follow through and make that happen. Because the paradoxes of depression are such. But on that day, I felt I had no other way out. And people were surprised. And I was surprised that they were surprised. And I realized I'd gotten something really wrong here. 
I realized that I needed to have said something. I felt I couldn't, but I could have. I didn't need to speak. I could have painted or or sung or, I don't know, used interpretive dance or something, anything, just to, to, to share that I needed some help to try and get that point across. Suicide isn't the answer, but we need to talk more to help to stop it happening. But I didn't talk and, and nor did the people around me. And it's hard. I get it. It's hard. It's really, really hard to have those conversations. But the more that we talk about it, the easier that it gets. Um, and we have to remember while we're trying to have those conversations that this is nothing to be ashamed of. Depression, it's an affliction. And the more that we hide it, the more that we mask it, the more that it grows and morphs. It, it thrives on darkness and shame and guilt and silence above all it thrives on silence have you ever had thoughts of killing yourself i mean it's not the perfect icebreaker i take that but we have to find a way some way into that conversation everyone around us needs to know that we are willing to have that conversation and to allow the quiet voice of depression to be heard because you won't know when you need to start the conversation because depression it looks like you it it looks like me it hides so very very well and we can't know that we need to have the conversation until the moment it's too late. And so we need to be more prepared to have this conversation more generally. So don't wait for the right moment. You need to make the right moment. And don't hunt high and low looking for the right words to have this conversation because I promise you there are none. I can't give you a script that makes this conversation feel okay. It never feels okay. It's a really awkward, really difficult conversation to have. And as you have it, you will stumble and trip over your words. The words will feel big and clunky and awkward in your mouth because you've never spoken these words before. And it won't feel comfortable, but it might save a life. It might. It really might. So embrace the awkwardness and maybe save a life. If everyone watching this started just one conversation about suicide, then we could make a big difference between us. We're small, maybe even one day a medium-sized army. And if each one of us spoke about suicide, about depression, if each one of us who felt that way ourselves before opened up and let people know, I felt that way, it's okay for you, to, you can talk to me about it. I've got two ears and I'm ready to listen then we would make the world a slightly more accepting place of these conversations. We'd make it a little bit easier for someone to start that conversation in the moment that they most needed to have it. And it would, it would, it would save lives. Those ripples, they, they would be felt. Suicide, it should never happen. And the most powerful way we can help to stop it happening is to talk about it. Would you promise me that you'll try? Please. We need to talk about suicide because our conversations, they will save lives.
Thank you for listening um, and thank you to those of you particularly who listen in regularly. Um, it's really lovely to know that uh, some of my ramblings are found helpful by some people. Um, I look forward to catching up with you again um, hopefully next week. Um, I might be a bit sporadic. I'm kind of waiting for potentially um, inpatient care for my anorexia at the moment, um, which might affect my ability to continue with this stuff, although I do really enjoy it so we'll see um apologies that this week didn't include any interviews that's been because i've spent a lot of the week just in bed and not really talking to people but hopefully my bits were of some interest um take care look after yourselves and um please join me on twitter at pookie h um and if you'd like to do a little something for your own well-being then join us each day on the hashtag hash three good things so that's the number three and then good things and try and find three little things that sparks joy in your day i'm doing this as a daily exercise it feels more important than ever just right now because um i'm not seeing huge amounts of joy it's fair to say in my day but you know when I stop and I focus and I look for those three things that spark joy it does make me feel better and what makes me feel better still is seeing the community on Twitter share their three good things as well and seeing the little things that can spark joy bring enjoyment bring pride and pleasure every day um, so yeah join us so I'm at Pookie H P-O-O-K-Y-H um, and the hashtag if you want to share or see other people's three good things is hashtag three good things see you there and I will be back again soon <laughs>